food bloggers. Hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. This is the place for food bloggers to get information and inspiration to accelerate your blog's growth and ultimately help you to achieve your freedom, whether that's financial, personal, or professional. I'm Megan Porta, and I've been a food blogger for over 12 years. I understand how isolating food blogging can be at times. I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger, including you, know that you are heard and supported. No matter where you are in your journey of food blogging, I think all of us can look back and pinpoint things that we wish we would have known along the way, but yet we're grateful for those lessons because they've taught us so much. This is exactly what June Albertson Dick from Practically Homemade brings to the table in this episode. She talks about all the things that she has learned along the way, most of the time the hard way and that she wants to share with us. So I think you'll find this very valuable conversation. This is episode number 399, sponsored by Rank IQ. Do you need help navigating Google Analytics? Maybe you specifically need to understand how to set up and use GA4 and use your Google Search Console to its fullest potential. Sign up for the virtual workshop put on by Tastemaker that dives into these topics. There will be four expert speakers to provide valuable information that will help you get the most out of GA4 and GSC. The workshop takes place live on Zoom on April 21st from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. EST. Limited spots are available. Be sure to join the waitlist to get first access to these tickets. Go to eblogtalk.com forward slash resources and scroll down to the orange button underneath the Tastemaker logo for more information and to sign up. June Albertson Dick started Practically Homemade in late 2017 as a way to share her love of making simple recipes spectacular. For years, June had owned and operated a cake decorating business and a deli in her hometown before becoming a high school culinary teacher. It wasn't until June of 2021 that she stepped away from eight years of teaching young adults to cook to make Practically Homemade a full-time job. She truly believes that we don't have to spend hours in the kitchen to make amazing food that everyone will go crazy for. In fact, at Practically Homemade, she shares easy recipes that allow you to get time back in your life for things you love without sacrificing flavor. June, how are you today? Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I am really good. How are you, Megan? I'm doing well, too. Thank you for asking. We're going to talk today about all of the things you've learned the hard way. Like I think we all have a long list of that, of those things, and how to maybe relay those lessons to other bloggers. But first, I want to know if you have a fun fact to share. Well, I come from a giant family. So my dad is one of nine brothers and sisters. And I have over 100 cousins just from that. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And a lot of them live in the same little hometown that I do. Okay, where do you live? Where are you from? In Oregon, a small town like in southern Oregon, Lakeview. Only about 2000 population, but giant family. Do you guys get together often? We do. And it's usually, well, you know, it gets divided up, but at least 50, usually 75 people for any Thanksgiving, Christmas. Are you kidding me? 75 people. (laughs) It gets to be a lot. Yeah. We could probably record an entirely separate episode just on lessons you've learned from being a part of a family that size. 
there have to be things, right? That you just like you have to be adaptable and just maybe not seek out attention. And yes, oh my gosh, a lot of us. And my sister does all the hosting at her house. And so that poor thing, I always wow. think, oh my gosh. So I try to help her a lot with that. But yeah. Oh my gosh. And how many siblings do you have? I'm curious. I have two siblings, two sisters, younger sisters. Okay. Yep. Wow. Okay. Well, not many people can say that. A hundred cousins. Yeah, at least. I mean, it's probably more than that now, but yeah. That is insane. I think I have like, I mean, less than 10 probably. And oh my, I cannot imagine over a hundred. There's a lot. All right. Well, to change the topic a little bit. So your blogging journey has brought about lessons that you've learned the hard way. A lot of us can say that. Most of us can say that. So to start this conversation, why don't you just tell us where you started with blogging and kind of where you're at today? Well, I started blogging, gosh, it probably was in 2015, just kind of playing around with a blog that no longer exists. And then I got kind of serious about it in 2017 and I started Practically Homemade. But during that time, I was also like running a business and teaching high school culinary. And so it was kind of on the back burner. It was like my, I don't know, my second job. And so it was kind of a lot. I just had always really loved reading blogs. And so I thought, oh yeah, well, I can do that. (laughs) Not really having any idea of what I was getting myself into. So it's been quite the journey from that to being a full-time blogger now today. And how long have you been a full-time blogger? I stopped teaching in June of 2021, so almost two years. Okay. Yeah. So you've been at it for about six years total and just making it a a full-time job for two. Okay. Yes. That kind of lays the foundation for us. I'm sure you've learned a lot of things during this time. For sure. So tell us about some of those things you've learned. Well, when I first started and I had a blog that I just found this cutesy kind of name for that kind of meant a lot to me, but didn't have really anything to do with what I was doing. So when I would tell people what my blog name was, it was Sweet Taters and Tails, which is <laughs> super cute because my cute. kids' nicknames are Taters and Tails. Oh, perfect. But people were like, what? <laughs> and so I was like, okay, So when I restarted, I was like, I have to find a blog name that kind of really helps explain what I'm doing better. So when I say practically homemade, they're like, okay, that's easy enough. Not too many words. Explains what I'm doing. All those things. Okay. So what do you recommend for people who who have already created a cutesy name or something that doesn't really explain what they're doing? Do they go back and rebrand? Gosh, I didn't have a huge following with that one. I don't know. It would depend on maybe on how far, you know, like how many visitors you were getting and stuff like that. I mean, sometimes I think that the acute name can, if people are resonating with it, then it can work. But I don't know that I would say go back and rebrand. I just Mm -hmm. kind of felt like I needed to start over because I wanted to make a go of it. And I kind of just played around that with that first one. Yeah, I think probably case by case, right? Like it might just depend on how yeah, far you're in. Yeah, process. And, right. I can't imagine trying to rebrand right now. So. Oh, gosh. I know. I've considered doing that over the years because my domain is very like, what? People ask me all the time. <laughs> but I've found that it's a great conversation starter as well. 
it just piques people's interest. Like, oh, I'm curious. What is that all about? So I can see both ways, but I'm so far in at this point. There's no way. I mean, I just wouldn't, I would never do it. I wouldn't touch it. No. But if you're just starting out, I would consider Just think about it maybe if you're just starting out, like really think about either way. Like if you're wanting something that's really a conversation starter or something like that, then go for it. But I have liked the direct approach a little bit better. Right. And also another thing I hear people say is try not to pick words that are hard to spell. Right. Because then people are like, like entrepreneur is a really hard word to spell or I don't know, millionaire, like things that like, are there two L's, two L's, you know, just like pick words that most people know how to spell. Yeah. I would just say, think about it. I just kind of the first time just threw it out there. It worked. Yeah. And the second time I thought about it more, I think now, I mean, I think I'd still go with the same name, but I just would say to really think about it and how you want to approach that and give it some thought. Yeah. Give it some thought before you just randomly pick something on GoDaddy. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. What else have you learned along the way, June? Well, I think the consistency probably has been the key for me because I had no idea about SEO when I first started. I just was randomly throwing recipes that I thought that I would want to see up on my blog at the beginning, but I was super consistent and you know, posting two posts a week and on the same day. So people really who were following me knew what to expect. And so I would always say that consistency is super important when growing any kind of business, probably, but especially a blog. Yes. I was just, so I had a few conversations earlier today and this, this point comes up a lot in my conversations because now more than ever with our space being just so saturated and we all know it is, there's tons of people here trying to do the same thing. That is like the one thing that I think really sets you apart from the rest of the bloggers because not everybody's consistent. But if you can like determine a schedule, a publishing schedule and actually stick to it, over the course of years and years, you are going to be ahead of most people. Sure. Yeah. Cause mine, mine was definitely like a long-term game. I didn't, I knew I could make money when I started, but I had no idea that I would end up being a food blogger full time. I think I had always hoped in my, in my mind, but it seems so far-fetched that I had, you know, Yeah. I was just kind of doing it for fun. And I think a lot of people are in your shoes, probably listening now, like, well, I would like that too, but I don't know if it's actually going to happen. But the consistency piece is probably like you need to decide right now that you're going to be consistent and it's it will happen if you keep up with that. Yeah, just keep going. Keep your head down. Be consistent for sure. Do you recommend consistency on all platforms? So like if you're wanting to build on Instagram, grow there, et cetera. I would say, yeah, probably. I don't. Instagram is not my favorite. I <laughs> Pinterest is where I really and Facebook is where my my people are, I always say. But I would say no matter what platform, just be consistent. People look or I find even myself, people that I follow looking for what they're posting for the day or, you know, so just kind of try to think about it from your reader's perspective like 
when you're wanting to hear from somebody, are you looking forward to a certain time? Because that's what they usually do. So keep consistent with that. Thinking of it from their perspective. I like that. Right. So talk about Pinterest. Yes, Pinterest. I had no idea, I don't think at the beginning, how beneficial it would be for me. I just started really doing a lot there from the beginning and hired somebody that was even before I was making money, I hired somebody to help me there. And I think it's kind of a long game a little bit, but it has paid off a ton. And I know people are on the fence everywhere about whether Pinterest is really helping or not, but it's still one of my number one traffic sources. And so I always try to nurture it as much as I can. Pinterest is the food blogger's platform. It's visual and so many people go there and use it as a recipe database. So I am so with you on that. I hear people ruminating about Pinterest a lot in our space because maybe they got traffic, a lot of it at one point from Pinterest and now it's changed. Right. But I just think I... Pinterest is the place for us to be. We can't disregard that platform. It's so important to show up there. Do you have tips for us on Pinterest? What do you think you do that makes you stand out? I would say, like I said, I'm consistent. I have somebody who's helping me. I do use Tailwind or my helper does. And so I have so many posts going out. I use it a lot for myself. And so I'm always trying to think of how... I would improve for my own viewing. So like, what do I look for in pins? And I don't know, I try to create consistent pins so that when people see it, they're like, oh, I, you know, I know that's from June at Practically Homemade. Like when my mom says, I know your pins, I'm like, well, that's good. That's what I want. So try to keep them. I mean, they don't all have to be the same, but kind of looking the same. So when people already know that they like your stuff, and they know kind of what your style is. They'll know just from even looking without even seeing what website it is. I've had a lot of people tell me that. That's good. When they roll out new features, just like Instagram or anything like that, you're just going to have to kind of go with it. Like idea pins. I hate that I cannot <laughs> attach a link mm. because I spend a lot of time sending links to people on Pinterest. But the idea pins, I think, keep my engagement up a lot, which helps I think, I mean, I would say Pinterest is showing my stuff more because of that. So I do two idea pins a day and I'm super consistent with that. So just like anything else, doing what they're kind of rolling out. And and the idea pins are now getting your links. They're, they've started rolling those out. Have you seen that? I have not yet. I'm hoping that it I'm becomes available for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because I spend a lot of time, like I said, messaging links to people because they're like, you know, frustrated. Where's the recipe? Right. So I know it, it has been a common frustration. And I think that's why Pinterest finally was like, okay, we're going to put links yes. and idea pins because it's not just the content creators. It's also the frustrated user. Yes. And they are frustrated. That's for sure. Yeah. I saw a blogger friend sent me an example of an idea pin that had a link and it's kind of discreet, but I'm like, you know what? There's a link there. So yeah, when you so when you're on teach them. Yeah, right. Edu- we have to educate about it being there. So if you tap on the description, it's the first there's like a link, but it's just a text link that oh. it's like it would say like pippinebby.com. Uh-huh. So you would tap on that, but it would take you to the direct URL of the post. But it's not like a recipe here, anything like that. So it is something I feel like we're going to have to educate our users For about. Sure. So we kind of brainstormed this in one of my groups, like, 
What if we started doing like animated arrows or something pointing down and saying recipe link below, you know, just like letting something people know that, that it's there until they get the hang of it. I think we're going to have to do that. I think you are. Yeah, for sure. But it's good that it's starting to show up. That means that we're all probably going to see it soon. I'm hoping, yes. Yes, 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 yes. I think that'll be huge for a lot of us. Yes. So what are your thoughts about, you love Pinterest, so what do you think about SEO and keyword research and all of that? So SEO is something, I'm like I said at the beginning, I just didn't have any idea about. And so slowly, I've been working on it more and more, trying to get my organic traffic up. And I just think it really is somewhere that we need to be. Definitely, if I was starting over again, I would start doing that from the beginning. And I think that I'd probably be a little bit farther than I am now, but I had no idea. And so now I'm trying to go back and update old posts and really work on some of those things because I just... They didn't, I don't know. I don't know if I just didn't know it or I just looked over it. I don't have any idea. But Well, I think we don't know what we don't know. If we, True. If we get into blogging and we're like, well, this will be easy. We'll yeah. Just put some recipes up. This is fun. Yeah. But we learn as we get more connected that there are things that we need to do to get to be visible. Where do you recommend people starting with SEO if they're listening and they're like, I don't, I don't really know where to begin? Right. Well, I had first, when I first did it, I think I was super overwhelmed. So I hired somebody to kind of help me a little bit. They would help me find like my keywords and some stuff like that. But I do it all by myself now. I use key search because I just feel like, first of all, it's affordable. Even if you weren't making money yet, I think you could afford it. I think it's $17 a month or something like that. And it really is helpful in searching for what you should be posting and helping with keywords and you can even track some things. But I just think I would start really writing for the user instead of what you think you should be blogging. I think it could be a mix of both. I do like putting stuff out there that just really is something that I love and maybe not going to be so SEO friendly. But in order to make enough money to do this full time. I think that SEO is something that people are going to have to really spend a lot of time. Taking just a really quick break from the episode to chat about Rank IQ, my favorite keyword research tool that is made just for bloggers. Maybe you are looking for a more efficient way to do keyword research in 2023 and you need to find a way to open up space in your business or life. Either way, I have a strategy that works really well. Choose a three-month window of time when you can produce more blog content than usual. Maybe that's now or maybe that's in the summer months or another time. Select five topic clusters or categories on your blog that perform well. Go to rankiq.com and type those terms into the keyword library. An example of this would be if you get traction on chicken recipes, then type chicken into the search keyword section. Then you want to sort from lowest to highest competition and browse through the list of options. If anything stands out that aligns with your content and can act as a support pillar for the recipes you've already published, run a report. Now write a comprehensive post, publish, and interlink with all of your relevant existing content. From the example I just provided, I found how to grill frozen chicken with a competition score of eight, which is super low. This is an example of a great keyword if you are an expert when it comes to grilling frozen chicken and you have quality chicken content on your site. This is how I've grown my traffic steadily over the past few years. Go to rankiq.com to check it out for yourself. Now back to the episode. 
there should be like a food blogging school, right? Like right. 101. <laughs> Let's sit down and talk about SEO and keyword research. This is hugely important. <laughs> right. And I think it just evolves so much over time that it yeah. can always change, you know? Yeah. When I started, SEO wasn't a thing. I would write like literally like two little paragraphs about my mom's food when I was growing up. No keywords. I wouldn't even probably put the actual, like if I was writing a post about meatloaf, I probably would include that word once. I mean, it was it was bad. And that content ranked on page one for many years. So it wasn't a thing. And then we just have to, as with everything else, we just have to evolve with the changes in our Yeah, industry. I think that's one of the biggest thing is just being able and willing to pivot a lot because just in the six years I've been blogging, it's changed so much. And you just learn more as you go. So... Yeah, that's another point in itself. So what have you, looking back, what have you had to pivot with? Well, my photography was something that I really had to work on. In the beginning, I've, I, as all of us, I think, probably look back and think, oh my gosh, I can't, you know, the pictures are a little <laughs> bit cringy. But so really working on that, making it pictures that people really want to click on. But search engine optimization for sure is a big thing that I had to go from just like rethinking how I was going to do my content so that I'm as actually writing things that people might be searching for. And then, I don't know, video, different things like that. I still, that's still one thing that I really need to tap into that I haven't as much, but I don't know, all of these things change all the time. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> but the good thing about video is that the trend now is to not be super polished, I think. Right. Like you can just right. show up in a very real way with your phone and make really popular, effective videos, which I don't know about you, but I love this trend and I hope it sticks around. I do too. And I've always tried to kind of make that for Practically Homemade, especially like I want even my pictures and stuff for people to look like I could actually do that. You know, I, yeah. I don't want it to be so for my, for what I cook anyway, so overly have all these other things and I want just the food to be in there and I don't want it to look super perfect. So I love that video is going that way too. Oh, me too. It's so, it's such a relief to me. Finally, people don't want the hugely polished, maybe photos will get there eventually. Just like take a sloppy picture of your yeah. messy casserole <laughs> or something. We're not there yet with photos, but no, no. What else have you had to pivot on looking back? Well, I think the biggest thing was when I decided that I wasn't just going to be messing around and doing it like as a fun side gig and really make it a business, that mind shift is probably really when my blog took off, being really mindful of what I was doing instead of just kind of doing whatever I wanted. And so I think when people, if you started like that, it probably would mm -hmm. progress faster, but I probably was a year or two of, you know, being super busy and stuff and then finally thinking, okay, I want to see if I can make this a go yeah. and really buckling down with my making sure I was, you know, working on SEO and doing all the things to try to grow it. Yes. Having that mindset from the beginning is so, it's like an accelerator to your growth, I think for sure. I think so, for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. And then do you have any like, how do you get in the right place with that? If you're kind of on the fence, like, oh, I don't know, do I want to do this? Do I not? 
any encouragement on that? I would just say if you really love it, I mean, blogging was something I enjoyed doing. I was doing it on the weekends, you know, on the evenings, and I knew I loved it. Then go for it. I think that if you're passionate about something and you just, like I said, stay consistent, that it will eventually, even in the long game or whatever, work out. If it's something that you're not totally committed to, I don't, I'm not sure that it'll work because I don't know that people realize sometimes how much work goes into it. But if you love it, and it's something you are really passionate about, I would say just go for it for sure. Mm, I love that. That's great advice. Okay. What else have you learned along the way? I would say, and I kind of mentioned it a little bit, but writing for the reader first, I was just wanting to get posts up at the beginning and putting recipes up with photos and not really writing to the reader and answering questions and all those things that have kind of become important. And so I want now my goal is to, with every blog post, I want my reader to get as much information from my blog post as they can and not have, you know, a lot of questions. So I'm constantly trying to think of how I can write for my readers to make it the most, you know, the best experience it can be. And in the beginning, I just kind of didn't have that mindset. And I think that that's really helped a lot. And I do think that probably from when I started to now, it's more gone more that way. I could get away with it a little bit in the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. And now you can't if you're wanting to rank for anything. Right. How do you change that perspective? Because I think changing your lens on that is a little bit hard because we're so immersed in our content. How do you step away from you and become your user? Well, I think because I do, or I started out as a blog reader more than, Uh, you know, before I was ever a blogger myself, I really was aware of what I liked and what I didn't like. And I just think you have to kind of put yourself in that space and then try to take an unbiased look at your blog and what you can do to make it better. I mean, I know that there's still a ton of things that I could do better. I just had an audit and... (laughs) became painfully aware of all that. (laughs) But I think if you can do that and just try to make it how you would want it to be, then, I mean, most of us have the same expectations when we go somewhere to read on a blog. Yeah, it is. There's good and bad parts of that, I think. Like, I feel like a lot of our blogs look very similar, but it's also good because it's kind of getting honed in on, I think, what the user really wants and needs when they go to Google or Pinterest to find a recipe. So yeah, there. it's interesting to see how that has evolved for sure. I do think that's true for sure because we all, well, I think readers just don't have the time to spend. I mean, I would say, you know, that jump to button is new in the last, I don't know, since I've been doing it. Yeah. And people are, you know, when they don't have time can just use that, which is u- super user-friendly. And I honestly just put it on my blog in the last year. I was hesitant, but I know that I want it. So I was like, okay, I have to get this done. Yes, for sure. That one is huge because when you do think of like when I'm looking for a recipe, having nothing to do with my work, just I want a pulled pork recipe and I look it up and I don't see a jump to button, it's frustrating. So noting those things when you're the user, I think. Those little things that you know that you want, I would be sure, you know, and I have been guilty like of the pop-up that is beyond, you know, pop-up, pop-up that I don't really love 
when I'm a user. Right. So I've really been having to be mindful of kind of the line of, you know, like what, what do I want to do? But still, I mean, I still want to make money at the same time, but I want to make sure that my users are coming back, I guess. My readers are coming back. I actually stopped putting pop-ups on my blog for opt-ins for my email list mm-hmm. a couple years. Like I want to say it's been two years now. Mm-hmm. And I really like it because I want the ads. I don't I don't put like maximum number of ads, I wouldn't right. say. But those are important for me because that's a huge part of my income. Yeah. So I'm not doing any pop-ups anymore okay, either. Good. Yeah. And it's, I think it's kind of rare to hear that. Like, pop-ups, you know, if you talk to any email expert, they're probably going to tell you that, oh, that, for sure. that they're very important. But I just feel like, you know, I have the fee theme. It's really convenient for people on mobile to sign up for my email list. I don't want to give them that extra thing to have to X out of and be frustrated with. So I just don't do it personally. Right. Or half the time you can't even find where the X is to X out. And so that's super frustrating. Yes. Oh, gosh. That's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And then I was thinking of my son. He likes to cook and bake. And a while ago, he was using one of my recipes, I think, for cookies. And he gives me feedback like, oh, mom, this feature in your recipe card is so amazing. So I try to take note of those things, too, when people, especially people I know who really care, tell me. Like, he liked the feature in the recipe card where you can tap and it X's out the, or it puts a line through the ingredient like you've already used it. That feature, he was like, this is fantastic. Now I know what I already used. So I just try to take note of anyone who gives me feedback as well. Absolutely, for sure. What else do we have to talk about? Gosh, I would just, one of my biggest battles probably at the beginning was like the imposter syndrome because you're want when you start, you're wanting to be somewhere you're not al- you're not already. And I remember going to the Everything Food Conference the first time and I was so overwhelmed mm-hmm. and came home and I didn't touch my computer for like a month because I was like, I can't do this, all these different things. Anyway, so I think that just trying to you know, have confidence in knowing that what you're doing is good and it can't really be compared to anybody else because no one's doing the same thing, you know? So that was a big thing for me in the beginning to get over because you have all these big bloggers out there that you've been reading their blogs and you know they're super successful and you're like, there are things obviously that you can do that they're doing, but comparing yourself to them can be hard sometimes. So I would definitely say to try to not do that so that you can stay just focused on what you're doing. That's hard. That it I think is that's hard. one of those things where you hear it and you know it, but actually playing that out is so, so hard. Yes. I literally, when I came home and, you know, didn't touch my computer for a month, finally I was like having to be like, okay, what would you tell? At that time I was still teaching high school culinary. I, what would you tell your students? Well, I would tell them, stop it. Get back on the computer, get going. And so I finally had to kind of talk myself through like I would if I was talking to one of my students at the time. It was funny. Oh, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Just like treating yourself as if you're not you. You're someone yeah. that you're coaching or mentoring or some, something right. like that. Or like how you would you wouldn't want your kids or like my students or whatever to give up. So just keep going. And I mean, I think you're always that's always going to kind of be in the back of your mind because yeah. you want to be successful. But yeah, just not to that's a, let it overtake you. 
That is a real, real situation and so hard and so difficult. So just acknowledging that, that if you are feeling that, and I think most of us do from time to time at least feel that, that it's normal, you're not alone, and that I just want to acknowledge that it's hard because it also feels sometimes like we shouldn't think it's hard. Like everyone else has this figured out, yeah. but that's it not true. It looks super easy. It yeah. looks like it is, but it's not true. We're all struggling with that. Yeah. And so if I think being able to have a little bit of a a core group of people that are kind of doing the same thing helps with that. You know, like your mastermind yes. or different things like that can really be helpful in kind of keeping you out of that. It's so true. I was just going to say that too. Yeah, it's true because we bring that, that topic gets brought to the table a lot. Just like, mm-hmm. why am I in this space? Why am I doing this? Who am I to think that I can do better than anyone right. else? And just having that group to say, this is why, because you do this and you show up and you are consistent and all of the things. And then like you can just see it in their faces like, oh my gosh, you're right. Just getting that little pep talk from trusted peers regularly is so huge. So So important. Yes, so so important. Don't do it all alone, I would say, you know, like... I do better in smaller groups. So like going to little retreats and things like that works better for me than going to like a big conference. I get kind of overwhelmed. But just anything you can do to kind of keep yourself around people that are doing the same thing, because no one really understands what you're doing, except people that are doing it. You know, my husband will talk to me about it and listen and all those things, but he doesn't know. Yes. So... It's so true. I still have, we just went to a family birthday party over the weekend and my mother-in-law was like, how's your business? And you can tell she's so curious. Like (laughs) how, I know what she wants to say. Like how in the world are you making money? And and my husband is kind of stepping out of his job right now because we've been super blessed and just like that, that has been our situation this past year. Like we have the resources now for him to do that. Oh, that's so great. people see that happening and they're, I can tell they just want to ask like, how much money are you making and where right. are you getting this money how from? How is this happening? <laughs> Especially, so where I live, there's nobody else doing anything like this. Oh, sure. And so people are super like, so when I quit teaching, which I did love, I just felt like at the end I couldn't do both well or to my full potential. So I got a lot of questions and still do about them. What is it? And how is it? And yeah. It's just funny when it's someone close to you, you can tell they're just skirting around it. Like, how right. is your business going? I'm like, oh, it's good. So yeah. pass the pizza, please. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I am too, oh, for sure. I mean, if people ask me direct questions, I, I'm fine answering it. But if you're going to ask me how my business is doing, I'm going to tell you it's going well. So yeah. <laughs> and I'm super excited because you're coming to a retreat, an e-blog yes, retreat. I'm I get excited. to meet you in person. And those are so powerful. It is such a good way to connect on a really intimate level and get to know people and get yes. kind of a core group of friends and really learn like firsthand. You can just open your laptop and show somebody what you're talking about. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. That'll be super fun. Yeah. I really like the more laid back same type, you know, yeah. style of like a retreat like that rather than, I mean, conferences are fine, but yeah. I do get a little bit like, oh my gosh, there's all these different things I need to go to. And it's overwhelming. It I is mean, for me. For everyone, I've, I feel like there are very few people who can say that it's not overwhelming. It's yeah. really, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of commotion, there's 
there's a lot going on. Yeah. Noise and information and like overload. My whole brain just is like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> this so is I'm excited too. Yes, me too. So I've never been to that area of the United States before. So I'm excited. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we're going to have a blast. Okay, June, this has been immensely valuable. What have we forgotten that we need to mention before we say goodbye? Oh, gosh. I would just say, just believe in yourself. Keep your head down. Keep going. Because everybody's voice is different. So even though it is super saturated, if you're really passionate and just keep going, I think that, it, like I said, it might be a long game. But at the same time, if you love it, then it's worth it. It'll pay off eventually. Trust in the process, right? Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of this. This was wonderful. I so enjoyed connecting with you. And thank you for all this value you shared. Yes. Thanks for coming and showing up. Do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to share? Or was that your inspiration? Well, that's kind of my inspiration. I always just say, and I always said this to my kids and to my students, just run your own race. Like you're the only one you know, with that voice, with that path. So yeah, just try to stay focused on your own race. So that's my, yeah. Great words of wisdom. Thank you. You're welcome. We'll put together a show notes page for you, June. If anyone wants to go peek at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash practically homemade. Tell everyone where they can find you. So mention your blog, social media, and all of that. So you can find me at practicallyhomemade.com. And I Although I did say I don't love Instagram, I am on there at Practically Homemade by June and then Practically Homemade on both Facebook and Pinterest. So everyone go check June out. Yay. Thanks again for being here, June. And thank you so much for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you posted it to your social media feed and stories. I will see you next time.